Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. We're in Acts chapter 16, three stories of transformation. She was listening and the Lord opened her heart, verse 14, to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I want you to notice Paul brought the message, she was listening, and the Lord opened her heart. I think her heart was opened, and the Lord opened it more, and confirmed the message and said, Lydia, everything that you've been drawn to, everything that you've been looking for, everything that drew you to the monotheism, the the worship of the one true God of Israel is found in the fulfillment of Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Paul preached it, and Lydia listened, and her heart was open. And that day she became a transformation story. When she and her household had been baptized, so obviously the story is condensed, but she heard, she responded, and then there was a baptism. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I love that language. Think of Paul and Silas, and Paul thinking of the history so far of his missionary journeys. They're kicked out of everywhere run out of city, stoned, beaten up, kicked out. And then somebody says, hey, come on in and have some dinner. All right, if you insist. They had to be walking along saying, we finally got invited into some place. Usually we're kicked out of everywhere. This is great. Okay, if you insist, we'll come for some, some dinner. Great. Now notice that her and her household were baptized. The implication of Lydia is that she's probably a widow or a single woman at this point in her life. She may have children. She may have servants. The evidence is that the church of Philippi met in her home. Remember, there's no church buildings. They either met in the temple courts outside or in a home. And Lydia's home probably was the church building for the church at Philippi. And so Lydia invites them in. Her whole family's baptized. And just a side note for those of you who are interested, this is one verse where some of our evangelical friends make a case for infant baptism. They say that because Lydia responded as kind of the head of the house and all her household is then baptized, there's an assumption made, and this is where you have to put on your logical thinking cap. The assumption is there's probably kids in the household and maybe even infants, and so therefore infant baptism, here's the case. And the fact of the matter is it's not a good case. There's way too many assumptions made. We don't know who the household was. We don't know if there were young children there. We don't know if they were servants. We don't know how old they were. Uh, So there's too many assumptions to make a good case for infant baptism here. But you do need to know that this is one of the places where our well-meaning brethren would say this is a case at least to consider for infant baptism. Well, I think the implication here, and I want to contrast this with verses 32 and 33. Skip down there for a second. We'll get there in a minute, but it says, uh, they spoke, 32, the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house, and he took them that very hour, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and his household. I think the implication of this verse would say that there's an assumption that the word is spoken to the rest of the house, then they all get baptized. That's my point. I'll leave that for your own study, but you just need to know that that, this is one of the cases. So uh, Lydia 
in her household, they hear the word, they get baptized. It had to be a joyous time of baptism. We have eight uh, teenagers getting baptized at the third service, by the way. It's going to be an awesome time. We're, we're excited about it. And so she urged the beautiful uh, idea of hospitality here. She wants to bless these guys back. And so she says, please come and stay in my house. Many of you will remember that in Philippians 4, later Paul will write, nobody really shared with me in the giving and receiving except you Philippians alone. And he talks about how their offering to his ministry had had become a sweet-smelling aroma to God, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. And Paul uh, talked about this church supporting him when no other churches did. And think of Lydia. And think of the other stories we'll see. This, this was the church. And Paul said in Philippians 1, every time I think of you guys, I think of you with fondness and I pray with you and I remember what God did in this region. Just beautiful stories of transformation. So there they are. Sure, they had a wonderful lunch or dinner and spent time uh, just rejoicing in the Lord. Verse 16, second story of transformation. The first is Lydia, the businesswoman. Maybe you can relate to her. Verse 16, and it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, so notice the pattern. I think they're going back to the riverside because that's where people met. A certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. And I want you to write down or mark the word met us because I think it's a confrontation, a clash, similar to the language of Luke 8.27 when the Gadarene demoniac, just as they got out of the boat, he met them. Uh, filled with a legion of demons. And here, uh, a servant girl who has, literally in the Greek, a pneuma pythona, a python spirit, met them. You say, what in the world is a spirit of python or a python spirit? It comes from Greek mythology in which the python was a snake that guarded the famous oracle at Delphi. According to myth, python was a snake that guarded the temple of Apollo and was eventually killed by Apollo. This, this phrase, python spirit, later came to, be, came to mean a demon-possessed person, get this, through whom the snake speaks. Wow. She was inhabited by a demon, and the demon was speaking through this girl. And you can be assured that whenever good things are happening in ministry, Satan's not going to be happy. He had control of this servant girl. She was a servant to her owners and he was dominating her life and now she comes and meets them and they're trying to head to the place of prayer. Have you ever noticed every time you try to head to your place of prayer, things tend to happen. Ring, the phone rings, something goes on, you get distracted, right? And so they're going and Satan comes now through this slave girl and she's inhabited by this uh, spirit of Python, but notice she's making mega moolah. <laughs> she's bringing her masters much profit by her fortune telling. One writer says, a slave girl with a clairvoyant gift at this time would be a veritable gold mine for her owners, close quote. They say in the ancient world that generals and leaders in political positions would do nothing until they had first consulted a medium or a clairvoyant or a fortune teller. Should we go to war? They would go to the medium. Now God says in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, don't mess with that stuff. If you get information that's accurate, it's not from me. 
Don't go to a medium. Don't practice sorcery. Don't practice witchcraft. And here this girl is dominated. Think of the phrase that came in the vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. It's not come over to Macedonia and help me in the vision. The man from Macedonia said, come over, Paul, and help us. And the us is everybody that's there, including this girl. I was... uh, uh, watching TV a couple weeks ago, and you know how you have that program guide, and you can see what's coming on. And I saw The Exorcist, the old Exorcist movie, and I went, "Should I?" Because the the old, one and only time I watched that movie, it freaked me out. Dr. Martin said at the time that The Exorcist came out, uh, I think he was sitting in a movie theater, and a big strapping guy walked into the theater, sat down, and said, all right, I'm here. Now scare the hell out of me. (laughs) And that's how people felt. The Exorcist was freaky, but you're kind of drawn to watch it. And there's one scene in The Exorcist among many terrible, frightening scenes in that movie. Her, the girl who's possessed in the movie Reagan, her shirt lifts up and something is scratched in her skin and it's this, help me. And the two priests are trying to deal with this demonic possession case and there are so many freaky things and, and you say, does that really happen? Well, uh, Blatty who wrote the, the movie, he took a compilation of priest diaries and all these demonic possession cases and kind of brought them into one fantastic movie with all of the stuff, supernatural strength and supernatural science, and he brought them all into one. But the actual story was not about a little girl. The actual story that this was based on was about a little boy. And if I recollect correctly, the little boy, somehow they were messing with a Ouija board and the little boy became possessed. And so the priest had to try to deal with this possession case. Here is this girl, and the fact that she's demon-possessed for her owners is an actual great thing for them. They're spiritual pimps. That's a good way to put it. They've, they've pimped her out, and they figure, you know what? Every time somebody wants a reading, she's known in town. The bigwigs are coming, and they're forking over money, hand over fist. This is great! Yeah, she got a python spirit. You know, she roars every now and then at night, maybe howls, but hey, no big deal. Because she's making us money. And after all, isn't that the most important thing? And following after Paul and us, Luke says, she was trailing the missionary team. She kept crying out. Now notice what she said. So there she is. She met them in kind of a clash. She trailed them day after day. And she kept crying out, notice, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And the implication is she did it over and over again. They would turn around and there she was. These men are bondservants of the Most High God. They are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And at first, the missionaries had to be thinking, well, I don't know. What do you make of her? I don't know. You know, there's, there's some language here that Uh, seems to indicate she wasn't using the definite article in the Greek word. So there is a case to be made that she was saying they are proclaiming a way of salvation. Interesting. But the New American Standard translates it the way of salvation. It does seem that what she was saying was really correct. Have you ever been around somebody who what they're saying is correct, but it would be better if they were not there? Because the way they say it, and think about it this way, does the Lord need the devil's endorsement? 
I mean, if the people of the town concluded, oh, that fortune teller is one of them, then that could have messed up the whole idea of the transformation of the gospel. And uh, there's another thing to consider, and it's this. Do you remember when the, the man who was demon-possessed met Jesus on the seashore? Uh, and he, he, he said, you are, I know who you are. You're the son of the most high God. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, be quiet and come out of him. And he delivered the man. And every time a demon tried to speak of who Christ was, we know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time? Jesus would always shut them up. Be quiet and come out of him. There's a precedent there. He didn't let them speak. Even if what they were saying was accurate, here's another thought for you to consider. There was an idea in the ancient world that if you could speak somebody's name, you could control them. And so maybe this was a desperate attempt for the demon to think he could control Jesus. I don't know why they thought that, but if you could speak somebody's name, they thought maybe he had some sort of form of control. These men are servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And over and over and over she did it. And there's even a case to be made that maybe in her more lucid moments, because it does seem to be the fact that people who are possessed can come in and out of depths of possession, maybe she was crying out. Maybe she was following them around because in her more lucid moments, she was hoping that she too would be delivered. Don't know. It's speculation. But she kept crying out and crying out and crying out. And I ask you, are you crying out for deliverance? Can you relate to this story? Have you messed around with the occult and found yourself in a dark place? Or maybe in your history, you've experienced that deliverance. And this continued 18 from, uh, she continued to do this for many days. This is one of my favorite sections of the Bible. But Paul was greatly annoyed. All God's people said, praise the Lord. A verse about being greatly annoyed. I love it. And he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Paul turned and he says, enough is enough. In the name of Jesus, come out. And I don't know if she fell to the ground and foamed at the mouth. I don't know what happened. But the demon immediately came out. And it was the power of Jesus Christ. He had done it while he was here on the earth. He had given the power to his disciples. And Paul now has the power in the name of Christ. And she was free. Can you imagine how she must have felt? Can you imagine, you know, understanding what has just happened to her? And we're not told in the text, but I'm assuming that she's the second story of transformation. I'm sure they preached the gospel. That was Paul's heart. I'm sure she became a believer in Jesus Christ. She was free. But not everybody's happy when people become Christians. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, our little demon-possessed gold mine, what have you done, Paul? How could you deliver her from possession? That's how she had the gift. That's how she was making us all the money. And now look what you've done. You've gotten the python out of her. That's just wrong. We don't want people being set free by Jesus Christ. Because it gets in, in the way of the money. And when the gospel and money clash, Look out. 
There's a story from a historian of the Salvation Army. He comments. He said, persecution was great from the beginning of the Salvation Army. Gangs frequently hurled mud and stones through the windows as they were preaching. The liquor dealers worked hard to have William Booth kicked out of East London. The police were no help. In fact, they broke up outdoor meetings of the Salvation Army and accused Booth's followers of being the cause of all the trouble. Sound familiar? Beatings were not uncommon. In 1889, at least 669 Salvation Army members were assaulted. Some were killed and many were maimed. Even children were not immune. Ruffians threw lime in the eyes of a child of a Salvation Army member. And the newspapers in London ridiculed William Booth and said, Punch referred to him as Field Marshal Von Booth in a not-so-nice way. This has been the story of the church. And all of a sudden, the masters are saying, man, uh, I don't care what hope you're trying to bring this girl, you've messed up my pocketbook. And I will say this, God is a God of hope. He can deliver. But the masters saw their hope for profit was gone. They seized Paul, I'm assuming with some friends in the crowd, and they seized Silas, Paul and Silas, and dragged them into the market, the town square where all the business was done, into the marketplace before the authorities. Each town had two magistrates that would rule over the colony. They were kind of like the, the, the city mayor or officials kind of stuff. And so all of a sudden dragged before the officials. Just did a great deed for a girl possessed. And all of a sudden they drag you. The mob drags you over and throws you before the, the magistrates of the city. And there they are. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, notice they don't mention the money. They're trying to sound pretty pious. They said, these men are throwing our city into confusion. Being Jews. Uh, what confusion did they throw the city into? All they did was deliver a girl who was annoying probably everybody. And now they accuse them. They don't mention the money because that probably wouldn't sound real good. So they say they're throwing our city into confusion and they're proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. Look, we don't want to hear this stuff. And religious pluralism in Rome was huge. They didn't really care what you practiced as long as you added Caesar to the menu. And I mean Caesar the emperor. They, they were cool with pretty much anything as, as long as it didn't clash with Rome. But now you have all these citizens complaining and, and they're saying they've done this stuff and the, crowds, the crowd rose up, 22. Against them, mob mentality here, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off from them, off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. We're told from history that lictors would be by the magistrates and they would have, uh, they would have a bundle of rods to, as a sign of the magistrates' authority and power. And so they would take the rods and in some cases they would beat people with these rods. The lictors uh, had the rods and this is where the phrase taking your licks comes from. And so they would they beat them with the rods and the Romans didn't have a law of how many times you could be hit. And they inflicted many blows upon them, 23. They threw them into prison and they commanded the jailer to guard them securely. Can you imagine what a day? <laughs> From the heights of victory 
to being beaten, probably lacerated skin and muscles, brutal, many blows. They're bloody, beaten, bruised, thrown into the inner chamber of the prison, probably where rats are, dark, dense, uh, dense, whatever you want to call it, just terrible stuff. Probably bleeding still. I'm sure they didn't get any first aid, and there they are. And Paul could have said, well, that's it. Ministry in Philippi is over. Have you been beat up lately? Maybe stretched out. Look at verse 24. And he, having received such a command from the leaders, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks, feeling beat up or stretched out. (laughs) Maybe it's anticipating some greater work of God in your life. To be put in the stocks, my understanding of it was they would spread you out as far as you could go, kind of like how you stretch and warm up. They would spread spread your legs out and fasten you into the stocks with your legs spread as far as they could go. Could you imagine being bruised, bloodied, beat up in this dark prison, probably rats and everything, probably terrible conditions. You're bloodied, and now you're fastened in the stocks. You don't want to lay on your back anyway because you've got all these wounds on your back, and there you are. You can't move, you can't roll over, nothing. I don't know how your attitude would be at that moment. But I'll tell you what I'd probably be doing. I mean, why, why? I'd probably be doing a die of whyitis, right? Why has this happened? We were doing great stuff. How could this happen? Boom, the door shut. Into the stocks, you're fastened. How long am I going to be here? John the Baptist James, Stephen have all died as martyrs. You don't know what's going to happen. Are we going to die? Will they bring us any food or water? What if I got to go to the bathroom? What do I do? I tell you, it would be a very difficult time. And there's many of our brethren that are in situations like this right now in prisons all over the world. But Luke says, but about midnight... Paul and Silas were doing two things, not just one. They weren't just singing. The Bible tells us they were praying and singing. And the word for prayer here is an all-encompassing Greek word. It means to supplicate. It could uh, mean praying to God, but could mean to be bringing prayer requests before God. And I wonder who they were praying for. Now, it would be natural to pray for your release, and that was probably included, but were they praying for the prisoners? Were they praying for the jailer? Were they praying for others in the town, for the girl that had just been delivered, for her masters that had just thrown them into prison? The word singing in verse 25 is humneo. It's where we get the word hymn, and it means to celebrate God in song. That's what we do every Sunday, right? We We laud his name. We worship his name in spirit and in truth. We lift up his mighty praises. And here we are free, sitting in a church comfortably. AC setting is usually pretty comfy. Making plans for lunch. And sometimes we come into the church and say, you know, and I don't really feel like worshiping today. I just don't feel like it. John MacArthur one time was asked the question, because he's big on the Bible, and, he, and he's saying, read your Bible, study your Bible, stay in the Word. And one guy asked an honest question that I think that everybody was thinking. John, you're always talking about the Bible. What if you don't feel like reading the Bible? And MacArthur said, 
That's probably when you need it the most. Wow. You know, sometimes you come into worship that way and you're feeling beat up and stretched out and you're like, Lord, I don't even know if I want to be here. And all of a sudden, your bonds and your chains are freed in the presence of God. Job 35.10 says, But no one says, Where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 42 verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? It's like he, he asked himself the question, Why am I like this? And then he says, speaking to himself, Put your hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Are you leading your children towards Christ? Do people know who you really are and what you stand upon? Are you living in the light of eternity or just for the temporary treasures that will one day rust and be given to somebody else? If you want to know Jesus Christ right now, believe in him. The word believe means to trust. It means that you're going to turn over your life fully to him. Instead of trusting in yourself, your wealth, your riches, your idols, you're going to put your trust in Jesus. Do it right now. Turn from your sin and turn to him. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Thank you for coming to save me for dying on the cross, for rising from the dead. I repent and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Whatever category of person you are, maybe you didn't fit in any of those, but it doesn't matter. God knows who you are. Reach out to him today. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today. Get into a good Bible teaching church and grow in your most holy faith. If you need more help, if you'd like to tell us about your own conversion story, if you rededicated your life or prayed that prayer, please reach out to us at livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. This is Pastor Michael on behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz and Wyatt Ayers. We're grateful that you listened today. Keep us in prayer. If you can help us out financially, you can give to us through the website. Give to the radio ministry through the website. And you'll help us to get on more stations and reach out to more people. That's livingtruthradio.org. And we will catch you next time on the program. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you.